Well, as was mentioned earlier in the service, we are resuming our study of the book of Romans this morning. We took a few weeks off to look at the news. And just if you're, if you're new here, I want you to know that kind of the, 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 the meal plan at New Life Church is that we will start with God's Word and look at how it applies to our lives. And that's really the way that, that we think that the Bible should unfold is we'll start with what God says about life and then apply it to the world rather than start with the world and you know somehow hope to pick and choose what is uh, spoken of in the Bible. And so we're going to resume our study of the book of Romans in chapter 8. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 I, speaks to something that I am going to guess most every single person runs into. And it has to do with the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we expect that God is going to speak to us. I don't know how many of you have regrets. Okay, regrets is sort of a safe word, right? I left home this morning. As I'm pulling out, running late, I realized I didn't have my driver's license. I didn't regret that, but it occurred to me as I rounded the corner that the potential for regret was really high. That I could regret having not brought my driver's license. And you see, there are a number of things like that. I mean, you take a wrong turn, you end up in, you know, spending an extra ten minutes trying to find your path again, you regret that you made a mistake. It's no big deal. But it sort of chips away at your happiness for the day, right? It's really not those tiny little regrets that are the issue for most of us, though. Most of us, for most of us, the, the, the issues are the big regrets. They're the ones that we look back on years later and say, oh, if I could go back in time, I would, I would never have done that. If I could go back, I, I would undo that every time. And I just feel so, every time I think about it, I feel so awful. Those regrets that eat us up from the inside. And so they, they, they shape the narrative that we have with, our, with ourselves and the way that we talk to ourselves and how we're, we're, you might say, down on ourselves because of those past regrets. I talked to somebody one time who, who thought, who told me, told me that they thought it was a sign of intelligence to be down on themselves. I'm sure they're not the only one. Because I know me, right? And, and I can pretend, I can sort of fake it or you know, be um, false or <laughs> stupid, pretending that there's no problem. But I know deep down that there are things there that if other people knew them, they would be down on me too. And so it's a sign of intelligence to be down on yourself. 
or to condemn yourself. And even that narrative, even that conversation you have with yourself is small in comparison with the eternal weight of the prospect that God will be down on you. That you might live underneath the threat that God, who knows more than you know, who has the power to judge, who has the power to condemn, that God Himself will condemn you. It's that prospect that is much more gut-wrenching. That when you lay awake at night, you realize, do I have a chance with God? Can I be sure in any way that God Himself will not condemn me? I was... I mean, I, I've had all sorts of you know, classes about how you talk to people uh, and in, introduce them to the good news. And um, w- one of the ways was to ask people if they died tonight, are they sure they'd go to heaven? Which is a great question and one that you certainly ought to settle. The most common answer to that to that question, if you were to die tonight, are you, are you certain you'd go to heaven? Is I hope so. That's, that's the most common one I've received. I hope so. And I think about it, what do you, what really are you hoping for? Why can't you know that? Why can't you be sure of that? What is it about the prospect that God might condemn you? That, there, that way back in the, in the dusty corner of your mind, you know that the whole thing may not be settled. That there is a chance that God's going to condemn you. That, I think, is the question I want to take up this morning. I mean, this is this is such a serious question that it, it covers all aspects of our lives. I mean, even even the questions we've talked about in the past several weeks, all of them come back to this question: Is God going to condemn me for what I've done, or is God going to condemn me because of what has happened to me? And so that's really where we're going to pick up again in Romans chapter eight. And so, if you have your Bibles there. Let's uh, look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Because it has great news. Eric said there's gospel. That means good news. There is really good news here for you. I want to assure you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live 
according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, there is, uh, there is enough here. We're just going to take the very first verse. Just one. I had to read more to you because then you would think you'd get shortchanged on Sunday morning. But the, the first verse is wonderful and it reintroduces us really to not only to the question I've asked already is how do I know I won't be condemned? But more than that, it reintroduces us to the, to the book of Romans. When it says, there is therefore now no condemnation. You'll notice that the, the, the words here at the beginning of the sentence throw us backwards. There is therefore now no condemnation. Because of what has come before, there's no condemnation. So, I think it's worth looking back to see why he picks up the theme of condemnation. So, you start back at the beginning of the book of Romans. Uh, he begins to point out, actually, what it is that would condemn you. For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God. You suppose God likes that? Probably not. Or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. So there has been in the history of humankind this exchange. We exchange the glory of God for images. We've exchanged uh, the honor of God for our own honor. Inviting condemnation. Chapter 2 suggests that our consciences pass judgment. When we look at other people and notice that things are wrong with them, we pass judgment on ourselves. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or else excuse them. See, one of the rules of our conscience is to remind us that those things that we've done wrong, to cause us to regret that in anticipation that faced with a similar choice in the future, we won't do that. Then he says it's, it's more than just your conscience accusing you, though, this condemnation. According to my good news or my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Those very things you thought you got away with are going to now be the subject of condemnation. Then in chapter 3, for those of you that may have feel like you escaped those other 
aspects that would cause you to condemn yourself. He said, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Nobody does good that is meritorious before God so that God wouldn't condemn them. This is really instructive because this is how you know you have this problem. If you feel bad about what you have done in the past, and your first impulse is to, to make it right, or to try a little harder so that you make up for the mistake that you previously made, then you have this problem. Because here he says, no one, no one can do that kind of good. No one can do enough good to avoid the condemnation that they justly deserve. It is a false morality, a false religion to think that somehow I can sin and I can uh, make uh, mistakes, I can dishonor God and then somehow make it up to Him. Because there's nobody that is able to do that. Now we know that whatever law says it speaks to those under the law that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might be accountable before God. You you can see why you have a conscience now that is agreeing with the reality and why it's even somewhat intelligent, right? To condemn yourself because God has orchestrated the world so that the whole world is accountable to Him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as you just sort of click through these, you realize, you know what? I'm going to try and keep the law. I'm going to try and be religious. I'm going to try and do the right thing. Well, that very commandment that promised to relieve my conscience, that promised to be life, it proved to be death. I can't undo that wrong by trying harder and doing better. Or we know the law is spiritual, but I am flesh. My problem is I've got a problem. I'm sold under sin. And it culminates... This whole, the whole first half of Romans gets all, us all the way up to Romans 7, 24, right before Romans 8. Okay? And this is his conclusion. If this doesn't sound like a self-condemning conclusion, I don't know what would be. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who would deliver me from the body of this death. Then he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that gets us then to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see why he's taking this topic up, don't you? Because this whole first part of the, uh, first part of the letter suggests that before God, all of us are accountable. Before God, all of us are guilty. Before God, all of us have shame and are rejected by God. Then, as he presents the good news in chapter 3, it says God has, God has given you a Savior 
And if you believe in Him, you can be reconciled. That's in chapter 3. And then chapter 4 and chapter 5 talk about what it means to believe. Chapter 6, what it means to be united with Christ. Chapter 7, how even after you believe, you have reason to condemn yourself. Until you just say, wretched man that I am. So it's all the way up there, all the way through this experience in this world. He says, you know what? I can see why people condemn themselves. But then he picks it up in Romans 8 and he says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I want you just to let those words in red sink in. There is no condemnation. That impulse that you have to try harder and do better so that you're not condemned, you don't need that impulse. That pseudo-intelligence that you thought you had that condemns yourself, that that reminds you how stupid you are or how awful you've been or how terrible you are. You know, that, that's not the right voice. Because there is no condemnation. Now when you're thinking about condemnation, you need to realize there are two parts to it. There is the first part that is objective condemnation. And and Romans really does treat this as though it is judicial, as though it is legal. And God has the right as the judge to determine your sentence and condemn you. There is objective condemnation at stake here. He says, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. What that means, that word propitiation, simply means that God, who would be your judge, has His anger and wrath satisfied. That He's not looking for you to try harder and do better. He's not looking for you to get tomorrow right because yesterday was wrong. He says... Yesterday's wrong is gone. Because Jesus, by His blood, satisfied God's wrath towards sin. And He did it so that... See, this is where people, this is where people make, a, I think, a pretty fundamental mistake. All of us, all of us want God to be loving. All of us want God to be Uh, kind and accepting. The reality is, God is kind. God is loving. But it's easy to hope, you might say, or to forget that God is also holy and righteous and just. And that God is not only uh, merciful, but that that mercy is necessary because He is also the judge. That God is 
God, God, there's more to God than we can, you know, put together. And here it tells us in the second half of this that it was to show God's righteousness because in His forbearance He passed over the former sins. See, that's kind of what all of us are hoping for, right? That God's going to pass over those sins. But we forget that if God passes over sin for no reason, then God somehow is in partnership with the person who did wrong. If a judge does that, and he's he's behind a bench, and somebody who is a thief, and all of the evidence shows that, and the judge says, you know what, I'm going to let this guy go. Well, so that's completely, that's injustice. You can't do that. You can't do that. You know what? But we expect that of God. And I'm just going to say, God can't do that either. And He's not going to do that. Because it says that it was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That, that God put Jesus forward to satisfy His wrath so that justice would be satisfied in the person of Jesus through His blood on the cross. So that God is just and He's merciful. He's the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. See, Jesus is, you might say, the, the, the linchpin, the, the, uh, the fulcrum here by which God can show mercy and justice so that you might be forgiven though guilty. So that you might be reconciled though um, excluded. Was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that right now, we can put this together in a way that says God is just and merciful. God is good and He is righteous and holy. And because of both of those, there's no condemnation. You see, if, if God's wrath has already been satisfied by Jesus, why would He in His wrath condemn you? He's already over it. He is over it. And the fact that He is over it means there's no condemnation. That there won't be condemnation. That you lay awake at night and you worry about the events of the day, you worry about that past sin that's 30 years old, and you know what? God is over it. And there is no condemnation because His justice is completely satisfied in Christ. Later on in Romans 8, it asks the question in a similar way. It says, who's going to condemn? Who has the right to condemn you? Well, the answer would be Jesus. He's the one person that made it through this world without sin. And he says, really? 
Who's going to condemn you? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who was at the right hand of God, who is now interceding for us. So Jesus, the one who had the right to condemn you, is now at God's right hand saying, you know what? He's forgiven. You know what? You, you can't condemn Him. Yeah, it was awful what He did when He was younger. But you know what? You're finished with that. I took that on the cross. And Jesus Himself is representing you before God so that you might be completely free. Isn't that beautiful? That's why there is no condemnation. And, and, and so that when you ask the question, if you were to die today, are you going to go to heaven? The question isn't, well, I wonder if I've done enough good things to make up for the bad. The, the question is really, have you trusted in Jesus who is the only one that can satisfy the wrath of God? And if you have, there is no more wrath to condemn you. God will not sentence you to punishment because He's satisfied with Jesus. And so the question then isn't how good are you doing? The question is, have you trusted in Jesus, the only one that can take away the condemnation? That's the question. And so when you think about what is eternally at stake, what you're thinking about is, have I trusted that Jesus has settled my account in heaven or not? That's really all it comes down to. But you see, we're, we're not exactly done, are we? I mean, that's, that's what it will be like when you stand before the gates of heaven. And really, there's no, there's, there's no more uh, sleepless nights. There's no more uh, events that are, you're causing you guilt. There's none of that any longer. And it's just, has Jesus settled it or not? But we're not there yet. Right? That's the problem. That's the uncomfortable reality. There's still sleepless nights. There's still questions about, can't believe I did that. There's still those regrets. There's still the, the brokenheartedness, really, over my own sin and the sin that has been done to me. And the sin that I have participated in by omission, even. There's all those things. If I really saw them, it would be overwhelming. And my conscience would always play the refrain that says, you deserve condemnation. We see the your conscience gets some help. Okay, this is this is I'm, I'm fast forwarding now to the end of the story. It says, I "Heard a loud voice in heaven that said, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the, the authority of His Christ have come.'" For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan has decided that his role is to remind God of 
your sins. And you know what else He does? He reminds you of your sins too, doesn't He? He he whispers, but surely God can't forgive that. But surely that is too bad. You are too bad. And that accusation plays over and over. But you realize, don't you, that I skipped to the end and the accuser of the brothers is thrown down. He's done. He's finished. He doesn't get to do that. Why then, if that's the case in the end, that he, is, he, is, he himself is condemned, why would you listen to him now? Why would you give him permission to condemn you now? Well, maybe, maybe you don't like the fact that you know there's, Satan bothers you. Okay, you want to be just a little more natural than that. Okay, you don't want to see spooks behind every shadow, right? Okay, that's fine. Because, uh, well, here the, I'm still going there. Revelation. The reality is, your own heart condemns you. See, this is the conscience part, isn't it? This is the lay awake at night part. I don't necessarily even need Satan to help me. Because I take it as a mark of intelligence that I know all those bad things I've done. And My heart condemns me. And he says, you know, God's greater than your heart. And if he... And He knows everything. And beloved, your heart doesn't condemn you. You have confidence before God. If you really get it, that God is greater than your heart and God Himself does not condemn you, why would you listen to yourself then? Why would you let yourself tell you something that God doesn't tell you? Why would you endure that from anybody else. You wouldn't endure that from someone else. Most of you, I'm just going to guess, talk to yourselves in a way that you wouldn't let anybody else talk to you. Because you allow your heart to condemn you. When in fact, God says, there is no condemnation. And so, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, invites you to change the dials on the way you talk to yourself. To listen to a different radio station. To listen to one that suggests to you that there's no condemnation because of Jesus. Now, some of you condemn yourself because you haven't settled once and for all really, the basis for no condemnation. You're still in this, in this fail, feel bad, try harder, fail again, feel bad, try harder cycle. You're still in that. But it suggests to us here that this no condemnation is only for some it's only for those in Christ Jesus. 
It's not for everybody. There are some who will face the just condemnation of God. But those in Christ Jesus will not. Now, I just want to remind you, because this is sort of, this is an important uh, piece in the book of Romans that you understand whether or not you're in Christ Jesus. Okay? And this is the picture he gives us about the way that human life is structured. In chapter 5, he says, For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Okay, his name is Adam. And his morality, you might say, or immorality, has trickled down to everyone. Death reigned. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. And so there is Jesus Christ, who is a second Adam, and there is the first man, Adam. Death reigns underneath uh, Adam. Life and grace reign under Christ. Therefore, as one trespass of Adam led to condemnation for everyone. See, if you're not in Christ, you're in Adam. There's only two categories there are. If you are in Adam, there is condemnation for everyone. But, the one act of righteousness of Jesus leads to justification in life. Jesus' death on the cross, satisfying God's wrath, that one act of righteousness leads to life. It frees you from condemnation. For as by one man's disobedience in Adam, many were made sinners and therefore condemned. So by one man's obedience, Jesus on the cross being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, many will be made righteous. If you're right before God or righteous, there's no reason for condemnation. So that God sees you in Christ as right. Okay, here's a picture I've used before. You really are one or the other. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. And so it is the your faith in Christ that transfers you from the one to the other. Your identification with Him because you're united with Christ In a death like His, you'll certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, nor the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with Him. So your identification with Christ includes you in Christ. And guess what? There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ. If you're over here in Adam, you are exposed to God's condemnation because condemnation passed to all people through Him. And so... The key question then is how do I get from the one to the other? Right? How, how do I get so that I am certain I am in Christ? 
So that there's not even a chance that I'm out here exposed still in Adam. Well, I'm going to go back to the verses I showed you earlier. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. See, ultimately it is your identification with Jesus through faith so that you say what He did counts for me. When it counts for you, you're in Christ. When it counts for you, you're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. It's really that simple. We can make it more complicated. But why would we do that? It was to show His righteousness at the present time. You, you, you do recall, this is exactly the same reference as Romans 8.1. There's therefore, now. Now. No condemnation. So that now, at the present time, God is righteous. So that He's just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's really only those who trust that what Jesus did on the cross satisfied God's condemnation. It's only those who are free from condemnation. It's only those who trust in Jesus that can be assured that they are in Christ and being in Christ have no condemnation. So, the next time, the next time you're awake at night and you're thinking, I wonder if I were not to wake up in the morning, Would I go to heaven? When you're thinking about that, you need to settle the question. One, and you can settle it once and for all. You can settle it again every day. But all of it goes back to, do I believe that Jesus has done for me what I can't do for myself? That He satisfied the wrath of God. And if I believe that, then there is not a chance that God will condemn me. And then maybe you're laying awake at night and you're still feeling bad, right? I know that I'm going to be okay one day, but right now I sure feel crummy about what I did. Okay, guess what? That's when you adjust. That's when you adjust the narrative that you're telling yourself so that you agree with what God says. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That is gone. And you let it go. That you get over it like God is over it. You let it go like God lets it go. See, most of what drives that is that we're proud. And we think we're better than that. But we're not. We, we deserve that condemnation. And unless Jesus relieves us of it, then we have it. It's not because I'm better or good enough to avoid it. I, I'm not. And so ultimately, it comes down to, am I trusting Jesus for no condemnation? And if you are, there is none. Period. End of discussion. So don't discuss it with yourself anymore.
right? Well, I do think that it's the kind of thing that we need help with. You need to be reminded of it on a Sunday morning. You need to you need to taste and see the Lord is good. You need to be invited into the um, to drink deeply from the fountain of grace. And we need just practical ways to remind ourselves of this. And one of one of the ways that we're going to remind ourselves of it this morning is we're going to take communion, which uh, Jesus left for us as a reminder of this very thing. On the night He was betrayed, on the night He was condemned in your place, He left for His followers this reminder that His body was broken for you, that His blood was shed as the blood of the covenant so that you might not be condemned. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You remind yourselves, you remind all the other people here with you that Jesus has taken that condemnation. And so there are, there are days when I suppose you need to be invited into a deep self-reflection on your own sin when you take communion. But I don't think today's that day. I think we're all familiar enough with our own reasons to be condemned that what we need to think about today when we take communion is the fact that that condemnation, Jesus has taken it. And that this is a celebration of what Jesus has done for those who would otherwise be condemned that we might be free from it. And so it's with joy now that we will receive communion. The way that we do it here really is that there are two tables in the front and there's two in the back and there's one up in the balcony. And uh, if you would just uh, go to one of those tables and take the elements or return to your seat, we'll all celebrate together. We'll all remind each other together that Jesus has taken our condemnation. And so we'll do that after uh, the next song. But um, it probably will work the best if you come up the center and go back uh, on the outside just so that there's enough uh, room for all this to happen. But uh, let me just pray for us because this is, this is so important. This is so important that we get this. God, I just, I just ask that You would quiet us down. That You would not let Satan accuse us. That You wouldn't let our hearts condemn us that You would cause us to trust in a deep way the finished work of Jesus so that we might be free from condemnation. God, I thank You that though there's no reason inside of me why You should not condemn me, that You are completely satisfied with what Jesus has done on my behalf. God, would You help me, help all of us to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus now, I pray in His name. Amen.